Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.05 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 9th of June, 2020. This is episode 248 of Bitcoin and I was so excited for Bill and Ted 3. There was like trailer came out or I saw a tweet about the trailer. I knew the movie was going to happen and I was like, "Oh, you know, I really kind of enjoyed Bill and Ted and and then they they linked to uh Alex Winter, the the guy that plays uh uh god, was it Ted, I guess. And they had a link to his twi- uh Twitter account, so I clicked it just, you know, cuz He's the only one of the pair that apparently has a Twitter account. And I find out that Alex Winter has blocked me. <laughs> I guess I'm famous now. I, I don't know. I don't, I, okay, let's, let's explain how this shit works. I've never interacted with this guy. Um, and yet I'm blocked. How, how is this possible? Okay, I'm going to explain to you this concept called the public block list. You are probably on one of these things, whether you like it or not. I'm on 34 of them. (laughs) Shit, you not. Uh, The way this works is there's this thing called blocktogether.org, which is just one of the most, it's just a really vile organization, but it exists and there's nothing I can do about it. And there's nothing that I want to do about it because I I just want to explain to you guys how it is that you're coming up on people's uh, you're coming, like you'll click on somebody uh, like, I don't know, reply or something in in Twitter. And all of a sudden you go to this person and and you're blocked and you're like, WTF man, I've never, I don't know who this is. I've never interacted with them. This is, this is how you're, this is what's happening to you. You're on a block list. Okay. So blocktogether.org puts together lists. I don't know how, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to estimate that the way that they do this is they they have an algorithm that parses through Twitter's API and looks probably for words like Donald Trump, um, I don't know other political stuff. Somehow or another, you know, maybe there's a human involved. Maybe there's also people that will send like you know humans that are going. Oh well, that's clearly a vile tweet because it it messes with my snowflake sensibility. So I'll send it to block together. I think it's a combination of all this shit and you get sent to block together and then block together puts you on this list. Now you can subscribe to the block list through Twitter somehow. I, I mean, it's not because of Twitter. All right. As far as I know, but somehow or another, you can populate your block list with one of these public block lists. And like I said, I'm on 34. How do you find out if you're on a block list? Okay, 
there is a Twitter account called the Unblocker. It is at unblock underscore list. Again, that's U-N-B-L-O-C-K underscore L-I-S-T, the Unblocker. If you just go to that Twitter account or at unblock underscore list and then say, oh, what is it? It's, It's a particular thing. It says, what block lists? No, just just type like go to like at unblock underscore list in your tweet and then space and then what and then space and then block lists. All one word, block lists, nothing else. And then tweet it. And then what it will do is it will scan all these lists and it will return to you a link that shows you all the stupid lists that you're on. So I am on 21 lists that are live right now, and I am on 13 lists that have been deleted by Block Together. Okay, I I don't know why they would delete a list. I'm not exactly sure how that shit works. But I guarantee you that the way it is that Alex Winter has me blocked is that he's populated his block list in Twitter with one of these Block Together, which means that... He likes blocktogether.org. And the more you learn about blocktogether.org, the more you may not like Alex Winter. I don't know. I don't give a shit. I still like the dude. But honestly, really? <sighs> Whatever. Okay, let's let's move on. Um, Hertz car rental went bankrupt. And if you're, I don't know, living under a rock, then you will have seen the fact that, you know, it their stock price basically cratered. Um, and then rose from the dead by 115%. And I thought that was really funny until I saw a tweet from Brian Sullivan at Sully CNBC that a bankrupt oil company quitting petroleum actually rose 152%. It declared bankruptcy. Well, the more I look around, the more I'm, I'm starting to find uh, some other companies, and this is, oh God, I can't remember. It's, oh, uh, Yusko, I think it's Mark Yusko, tweeted out like a list of like, I don't know, four companies, three of which are in bankruptcy, Hertz and Oil Whitting, you know, or Whitting Petroleum being part of them. One company that's about to file for bankruptcy, I mean, they're preparing the paperwork today, and, and all of these companies are seeing like record gains. So you have to ask yourself why. I don't know. I really don't. But I think, honestly, I think this is, you know, for people who say, yeah, the, the economy's fine. Uh, look at, just look at the stock market. You, you, your response should be the stock market and the rest of the world's economy is on life support. What you're seeing is arrhythmia. Now, if it leads to cardiac arrest, you might consider, I don't know. I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start tooting this horn for a while. Get out of the cities, get, get out. If at all possible, move to the edge. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you can't, I understand that. But if you can, I would sell your house, not financial advice. And I would buy one either on the very edge. I'm talking the urban rural fringe, not in the suburbs. If you live in the suburbs, you're still in the city. I'm talking on the edge, like drive to the edge of your town. 
If you've never done that, you should probably go look. I think there's a lot of people that were born and live in cities that have not, you know, they've, they've traveled outside their city, but they've done it either through, you know, on a plane or something like that. Never really taken a drive out to the edge of their city to understand what the urban rural fringe means. It means like all of a sudden houses just and businesses just die away. And then you get to small farmsteads and little houses and stuff that are separated by large amounts of space. Large amounts of space. That's the urban rural fringe. I highly recommend that or move to a very small town like the town that I'm in, which is under like 20,000 people. You know, we haven't seen in my town. There hasn't been a building set on fire. There hasn't been a single store looted. Nobody's doing Everybody in West Texas is pretty chill, man. I mean, I grew up in Midland. I was talking to Pi or uh, DMing with a pirate beach, beach bum just a few minutes ago. And uh, he's a Texan. And we were kind of, he was asking me about what was going on in Midland. And I hadn't lived there, lived there in years. But usually I would hear, I would hear something you know, because my stepmom still lives there. So I would have heard something. So nothing's going on in Midland. It's, Lubbock's seeing some stuff, but it's not all that bad. And Amarillo, which is the closest town to where I live, is seeing Jack. I mean, there's some protests, but nobody's doing anything weird. But even then, even if I was living in Amarillo, if shit goes south like a duck in winter, I don't want to be anywhere close to, to a high-density population. Even if Amarillo is sub 200,000 in population, I still don't want to be anywhere close to that kind of mass. I'm just saying, man, consider it. At least put it in your head to think about. Okay, Again, not investment advice or legal advice or any advice whatsoever other than just think about the possibility of, of getting, the, getting the hell out because the economy is on life support. I've never seen these types of... of bankruptcy runs before I, maybe it's Robin Hood. Maybe it's because retail doesn't understand all they see is they they have the mentality of the shit coiner and see, and see a low price on something. Oh, they're going, Oh, I can pick up Hertz for this much. And they don't know that Hertz is in bankruptcy. It's not outside the realm of possibility, but this shit is not a great stock market. What this shit is, is freaking life support. Let's get into the first one up in the morning roundup from the daily hodl staff. Writing for clearly the Daily Hodel sometime yesterday, Coinbase reveals cause of widespread crypto trading blackout. Okay, sure. The digital currency exchange Coinbase has released a post-mortem on its June 1st outage that affected all of the firm's trading platforms as well as its mobile applications just as Bitcoin hit $10,000. The United States-based crypto exchange says in a new blog post that 5x traffic surge in a span of four minutes spurred by Bitcoin's sudden rise in value created an auto-scaling issue that led to the saturation of web servers. Quote, the traffic spike affected a number of our internal services, increasing latency between the services. This led to process saturation of the web servers responsible for our API, where the number of incoming requests was greater than the number of listening processes, causing the request to either be queued in timeout or fail immediately. Our request error rate spiked to 50%, causing customers to experience errors when interacting with Coinbase.com and our mobile apps, end quote. 
Coinbase redeployed its application programming interface or the API at 420 Pacific Daylight Time. <laughs> it's 420 to support the increased traffic. But the deployment of the software then interfered with the rotation of previous deployments, which resulted in another two-minute outage. The crypto exchange says it's working on solutions to minimize outages due to network congestion. Quote, we're working on reducing the impact of price-related traffic spikes through pre-scaling and caching. Longer term, we're planning to improve our deployment process to mitigate some of the auto-scaling issues. End quote. A few days before the Bitcoin halving, Bitcoin went from almost 10,000 to 8,000 in a matter of hours, causing users to share screenshots of their 502 error messages with the hashtag Coinbase on Twitter. <laughs> so, okay, that's that's going to do it for the article. But let's let, let's just pause a little bit so that I can uh, describe to you what what that whole thing meant. Okay, so he, he, here's here's what it means. Here's the translation. We're so jazzed about shit coinery that we neglected our entire back end. That's what that whole story is. They have become so saturated and so bought in to the shitcoin casinos and buying these other companies and this this it's like this it's it like in biology it would be called explosive growth. But when you do this and you neglect where it is that you came from, i.e., in this case, Bitcoin, but also your physical back end of the computers and processes and the amount of the hardware that you have to support the growth, if you're not, if you're not supporting that, then that can't support explosive growth for too long. And after a while, the organism just burns itself out. That's all this, that, that can be the only conclusion that I have for the future of Coinbase is that if they don't get their shit together, they will always be a shitcoin casino. Okay. So don't ever have hopes that they won't be a shitcoin casino because they're always going to be that. However, their, their only way that they can survive into the future very, very much longer is they better get their back end like rock solid. If they don't, Kraken's just going to take over from them. Okay. So be aware. Now, this one is from Marie Hulliet, writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Australians and New Zealanders can now use Bitcoin in vending machines. Vending machines operated by major Asia-Pacific soft drink bottler and distributor Coca-Cola Amtil or Amatil will now be accepti accepting payments in crypto. Vending machines operated by major Asia-Pacific soft drink bottler will accept payments in crypto. The development follows a new deal with digital asset platform Centripay announced on June the 8th. Coca-Cola Amatels, however you pronounce it, network of 2,000 vending machines in Australia and New Zealand will enable customers to spend their crypto shitcoin by using the smartphone camera to scan a QR code payment sticker provided that they have Silo Smart Wallet installed. Silo Smart Wallet is a decentralized application that integrates messaging services with a digital wallet with support for major digital assets such as Bitcoin and, wait for it, any ERC-20 token. All right. I know. I know. I get it, guys. It's shit coinery, but we got to take the wins where we can. Okay, so let's, let's see what else this has to say. Centripay CEO Jerome Fari 
has pointed to greater awareness of the need to reduce the physical, the physical contact and retail locations due to the clo- global COVID-19 public health crisis. The company's deal with Coca-Cola, ostensibly one of the world's largest bottlers of the Coca-Cola range, serving 270 million consumers, has been presented as a first step in bringing easier access to crypto for global consumers. Quote, now we've shown how it can work in Australia and New Zealand. We're looking to grow the business globally. We've established a presence in North America and we'll be targeting the U.S. market next. Okay, shitcoin, casino, Coca-Cola machines coming to a nearby place near you. Okay. Centropay focuses on tackling barriers to the adoption of Web 3.0 technologies, particularly digital assets and digital identity services, which it attributes to integration complexity and poor user experiences. As Cointelegraph has previously reported, while Centropay and Coca-Cola Amatol are focusing their sites on consumers and merchants, other Coca-Cola bottlers have already adopted blockchain technology on the supply side. In November 2019, Coke One North America, the tech firm that manages IT operations for the Soda Giants bottlers, <clears throat> began using a blockchain solution developed by German software firm SAP to manage its supply chain. The company oversees multiple franchises that manufacture, bottle, and ship nearly 160,000 orders of Coca-Cola's products daily. So, okay, look, the whole ERC-20 thing, yeah, I know, it's disappointing. But what's more disappointing is that, well, diabetes. Look, I like a good ice-cold Coke as, as much as the next guy. But honestly, the only Cokes that I like anymore are the Mexican Cokes because they're made with actual sugar. So, and they have to be like ice fricking cold. And I don't drink like sodas. Like I hardly ever drink a soda. It's kind of rare. Um, but dude, yeah, stay away from these things. I mean, every once in a while it's cool, but dude, if you want to like, you know, put a body blow on your pancreas. Yeah. Drink this shit all the time because it will definitely give your ass diabetes. Uh, Daily HODL staff is writing on June the 9th, which is today for the Daily HODL. BTC will shatter $520,000 according to new stock-to-flow model. Here's when it would happen. Okay, this is your daily hit of hopium, so don't go, you know, (laughs) crying and moaning about me reading stuff about hopium. Okay, we figure out the narratives because that's where the future is. A new twist on the Bitcoin stocked flow model, or the S2F, suggests the crypto king will blow past 520000 but it may take a while. A pseudonymous quantitative analyst named Quant Mario says Plan B's popular S2F ratio, which divides the amount of BTC in circulation by the amount of Bitcoin mined per year, is overly bullish. Quote, after the fifth halving in about eight years from now, the original S2F model predicts the Bitcoin market capitalization to be higher than the value of all the property in the world. Equities, real estate, fiat, gold, fiat money, gold, etc. Sounds impossible, right? Uh, Cryptoli, an editor at the crypto exchange SafeX, says the new model, which shows BTC will make a slow and steady march to about $520,000 over the next two decades. <coughs> Sorry, pardon me. Over the next two decades, places more realistic expectations on minor profitability and the overall use of electricity on the network. Quote, the S2F model's output basically demands a 10x price increase from one cycle to the next cycle. If a constant profitability of miners is assumed, equilibrium of price and miner adoption, 
Then the mining effort has to quintuple every four years. The combination of a tenfold increase of price and a halving of the block reward results in a fivefold increase of reward in fiat currency every four years. Gog, end quote. Check that one. A reward in fiat currency. Mm-hmm. That's kind of beside the whole damn point now, isn't it? That to address these issues, the adjusted stock-to-flow model predicts a significantly slower pace of growth for BTC. In contrast, Plan B's model predicts Bitcoin will hit $1 million by 2028. Despite his adjustments, Quant Mario admits that Plan B's model closely tracks Bitcoin's past price movements, and, if this continues, a much larger rally is coming over the next few years. Quote, the past three halvings cycle, or sorry, the past three halving cycles have each seen the formation of a price bubble that exceeded the air band of the LGS S2F model for a short time. If this happens again, we can expect to see the price peak at $100,000 during the coming cycle. So there it is, your, your daily hit of hopium. Hey, good to have gold. Ooh, now, to temper your daily hit of hopium, here's your, here's your daily smell of crap. $15 million wiped out on BitMEX as Bitcoin prints a $400 Darth Maul candle. I had no idea Darth Maul pattern was, was a thing, but apparently it is. Nick Chong is writing this one this morning for Bitcoinist.com. Bitcoin has seen quite the bout of volatility over the past hour or so. After trading at $9,700 for most of Monday, the cryptocurrency suddenly surged as high as $9,900 on the influx of a buying volume. But once it hit that, the trend quickly reversed with the asset plunging nearly $400 in 10 minutes. (laughs) Analysts liken such a candle to the lightsaber of Darth Maul, the Star Wars villain whose weapon produced lasers from two sides. Due to the volatility, many millions worth of leverage positions were liquidated, according to the data shared by the SKU.com crypto derivatives platform. The company reported that in the past hour alone, more than $3 million worth of long and short positions in BitMEX's Bitcoin market has been liquidated. For BitMEX's Ethereum market, the value of contracts liquidated is $400,000, This is rather low considering that Ethereum fell 10% from the highs to the lows, but it may make sense as BitMEX's ETH market is relatively small compared to its Bitcoin market. Although volatility still persists after these moves, Bitcoin is attempting to stabilize where it started this Darth Maul candle. This may suggest that the outlook uh, that analysts had prior to this move is still valid. A prominent cryptocurrency trader shared the chart below, noting how in rallying to 9,900 but falling to break through, BTC is leaning bearish. Quote, mapped out and followed the plan sweeping the local highs, squeezed out shorts, shorted ETH and BTC, just waiting to see if it starts grinding down. A lot of OI built for a $200 push and wiped out, he wrote on the matter. But as normal, analysts cannot fully agree on what comes next. A notable cryptocurrency chartist noted how Bitcoin's recent price action with the Darth Maul candle and the capitulation drop last week looks eerily similar to the 2019 bottom in the 3000s. What followed that bottom, as we know, was a 300% rally to $14,000 in the months that followed that. So uh, daily hit of hopium now tempered with a bout of reality. 
Uh, but again, never even seen, you know, heard about a Darth Maul until today. So learn something new every day. Uh, again, take all this price action and prediction shit with the, with the tiniest grain of salt that you can. When I go through to do, to set up, you know, the, the, the show in the morning, the amount of like on one single news outlet on their front page, and I'm not going to say who it is because there's like, like four or five of them that do this shit. There are price prediction stories in every single direction written on the same day by separate people. And it's almost as if, you know, if I'm looking at it, I, I want to say, stop, pick a side. And they'll always say, but we have to present everything. And I can't argue with that. But the fact that nobody, nobody knows what the hell this shit's going to do. Nobody knows. Nobody. Not, not plan B, not any of the other chartists or chartalists or whatever you want to call them. Nobody knows what the hell's going to happen. Okay. So with the price predictions, again, if I'm, if, if I read a story about one, take it with a grain of salt. If you hear anybody else talk about it, take it with a grain of salt. I thought this was interesting because I learned about a new pattern, the Darth Maul pattern. Speaking of evil, Brave Browser's affiliate link, Controversy Explained. This is Coindesk's Brady Dale writing sometime yesterday. Uh, if you don't know what's going on, it'll be re-explained. I talked about it yesterday, but if you don't know what's going on, it'll be re-explained here. <clears throat> no one is easier to criticize than a Boy Scout. The browser maker Brave, which launched around protecting pro online privacy, was called out this weekend when users noticed that typing in the name of the leading cryptocurrency exchange Binance resulted in an autocomplete that ended in a ref link. This replicates on an instance of Brave used here at Coindesk. Automatically adding the tag to the URL creates the appearance that Brave is adding tracking to visits to the exchange's website that were direct rather than mediated through some kind of ref link such as Brave's in-browser in -browser ads. Monero developer Ricardo Spagni, also known as Fluffy Pony, captured some of this unease when he, when he tweeted, quote, bro, I don't want my browser touching the URL I typed in the address bar, end quote. First noted by Yannick Eckel on June the 6th and first reported by Decrypt, the browser was sending signals to Binance that a user had been referred by Brave when they had not been. Brave founder Brendan Eich has also or since acknowledged the mistake and told users the ref language should stop appearing soon. He wrote on Twitter June the 6th, quote, we made a mistake. We're correcting. Brave default autocompletes verbatim in, uh, and it gives the, the, a link. I'm not going to read it out. In address bar to add an affiliate code we are a Binance affiliate where we refer users via the opt-in trading widget on the new tab page, but autocomplete should not add any code, end quote. A brave spokesperson told Coindesk the issue is being addressed, quote, we already updated the default for the show brave suggested sites in autocomplete suggestions setting to off in brave's nightly release channel. Brave's Catherine Kaur said via email. She continues by saying, we will uplift this change to our dev, beta, and stable channels version 1.9.8 in stable today, end quote. Ike's tweet thread goes on to explain the mistake 
reflects the need for the company to run a profitable business. Brave recently reported it has reached 15 million monthly active users, which represents solid growth and one of the most popular pieces of technology in the cryptocurrency space, but it's still minuscule compared to the overall browser market. Still, Brave's growing share of online attention has enabled the company to negotiate more and more deals as a referral partner. Brave's opening page has frequently been turned over to advertisements recently, and it now has a Binance trading widget there. Use of that widget does count as a referral by Brave. Brave never intended to eliminate advertising completely, but rather provided a model of advertising where users would receive ads without being followed around the web. In April 2019, it debuted Brave Ads, which offered more of a pop-up ad experience where users received most of the basic attention token paid to publish ads. To withdraw the bat earned, however, a user has to go through an anti-money laundering identity check. Oh, great. That's just perfect. It would be good to get more clarity on the kind of mistake that was made, though this tweet from Ike seems to suggest Brave knew what it was doing at the time it added the referral quote. Quote, I never said it was accidental. We are treating it like a search query, but a valid domain name is not a search query. Fixing. He sounds pissed. When asked for a comment on the controversy, Binance's communications team redirected Coindesk to Brave. Brave does all of its development as open source and posts it on GitHub to be inspected, just like most of the projects in the crypto space. Now, I'm just going to stop that one there because remember the very thing that I stopped with was the fact that it was on GitHub and it's open source. Well, you can imagine this decrypt story coming next by Greg Thompson written today, developers are forking brave to remove affiliate links. Renegade devs want to strip out brave browsers invasive for-profit features, but can brave last without them? Let's find out. A group of developers have decided to launch a fork of the brave browsers to remove all affiliate links, adware, and even the bat token. This will create an alternative version of the browsers that users can uh, switch to. The move follows the revelation that Brave users were being sent to an inbuilt affiliate links for crypto exchanges such as Binance. Whenever they began to type the name of the exchange into the URL bar, Brave has since stopped the affiliate links from appearing where the users type, but they still appear as an option for the user to click on. Dubbed the Braver browser, the team behind the project announced the creation of the new fork on June the 6th. Okay. The same day that the news hit, somebody forked this damn thing. Uh, by June 8th, the team showed off the first test build of the new browser with the affiliate link suggestions removed. Quote, the first test build of the at Braver browser, at Braver browser is their Twitter handle if you want to go check them out, completed a few hours after its fork, removing Brave's referral link injection. The full release We'll remove all adware, rewards, brave together, branded wallpaper, sponsored components, bat icon, all future ad integrations, the Braver team tweeted. Not everyone was enthusiastic about the attempt to, to fork the Brave software. Co-founder and CEO of the original Brave team, Brendan Ike, warned the fork developers that it won't be plain sailing from here on out. Ike tweeted, quote, good luck. They will have to rename, also run a bunch of services and updates on their own. No free riding on our servers, end quote. It's not the first time Brave has been forked either. In April of 2019, social media platform Gab forked Brave with the end goal of replacing its basic attention token with Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. Gab's versions can be found here, and found here is a link. On June 9th, 
The Brave team issued an unofficial apology for the referral link scandal, describing it as an honest mistake. Oh, bullshit. Brave said the autocomplete function, which directed users to in-house affiliate links, would be removed. Honestly, this is reprehensible. It was when I was talking about it yesterday. It is just as it was just as reprehensible when everybody found out about it on the sixth. It's just as reprehensible today. There is no honest mistake here. You did this shit on purpose. Fuck you, Brendan Ike. Fuck you. A luxury yacht or a Snickers bar? Bitcoin beats gold in new one dollar comparison. Okay, not investment advice. But this is given by William Suberg out of Cointelegraph uh, sometime this morning. The latest analysis from Willie Wu shines an amusing light on gold's performance as an investment over the past 11 years. A $1 investment in Bitcoin in 2009 would buy a luxury yacht today, but $1 of gold would only buy you a chocolate bar. <laughs> that was the result of a comparison from statistician Willy Wu who unveiled his latest tool this week for tracking the largest cryptocurrency success, uploading his findings on Twitter along with his dedicated website, Wooble. Wu highlighted gold's lackluster returns over the past decade. Despite both gold and Bitcoin gaining in 2020, Bitcoin remains an easy winner out of the macro assets both year to date. <clears throat> and all the more so over multiple years. Quote, I made a new live chart for you gold bugs, Wu added in lighthearted comments. Gold, in fact, netted enough gains for a sweet treat in 2011 before falling and only reproaching its all-time highs in recent months. The precious metal nonetheless retains its keen supporters, many of whom make a point of rubbishing Bitcoin while plugging gold's virtues. As Cointelegraph reported, Peter Schiff is perhaps the most vocal gold bug on social media, while others from the industry have denied that Bitcoin is in any way gold's digital counterpart. In a debate last month, Saifedean Amis, author of the Bitcoin Standard, went head-to-head with Roy Seabag, founder of CEO of or founder and CEO of Gold Money. Seabag took issue with Amis's entire theory of money, even disputing the idea that Bitcoin's fixed supply will stay at 21 million BTC. Oh, Amis argued that gold would follow silver in becoming demonetized over time. And it had failed to take advantage of the coronavirus fiat meltdown. Quote, it was gold's time to shine. But I think Bitcoin is going to be taking over that shine because you can send Bitcoin across borders. End quote. He summarized. That's the most important part to remember in all of this stuff. I think gold is fine. I, I don't have a problem with gold. I don't. And I'm never going to, I've never had a problem with gold and I'm never going to have a problem with gold, but gold has its limitations. It's heavy. And to carry enough of it with you to demonstrate like your life's wealth, you know, if you like, if you own your own house and I'm not talking mortgage, I'm talking paid off and you got to move. Well, that means you got to sell your house, you know? Or you could take it with you, I suppose, but it's sort of the same thing with gold. Even though the house is, you know, heavier than gold, it's more encumbered because it's, you know, I don't know, nailed or bolted to the ground. There's no way to, I mean, there's no way to carry it unless you, it's small enough to put it on a flatbed bed trailer. I see house movers all the time. They're expensive. Same thing with gold. If you were to sell your house and convert it all into gold, 
because you want to get out, like let's say you're in Hong Kong and you're like done, how are you going to move that across the border? They're going to know and they're going to take it from you. They're going to steal it. So it's not really good for a transport of value. I don't think it's any, there's a problem with store of value, but transport of value is a different fucking thing. All right. So guys, gold, silver, precious metals are heavy. That's a feature, not a bug, but it still doesn't really help you. Not when you're trying to move millions of dollars over a border. Okay. So here's kind of the way that I see it. I think gold would be good money in your town, the, the place where you live and you need to go and buy like a, a, a $1,000, you know, fridge or something like that. And you've got to take a one ounce gold coin and then they'll give you like a little bit less than like, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way to make change. Well, and, and we get into that, that whole discussion about the fact that it's gold is also not very divisible. It's, Kind of not. So, but still, I mean, locally, I think gold would be fine. Um, but if you're going to send gold around the world, it is a terrible, terrible uh, store of tra- uh, transport of value. It's not a store of value you know, issue. It's a transport of value issue. So let's go ahead and get into some vital statistics. All right, vital statistics. First up is old money. CNBC.com forward slash markets has all of the major indexes mixed. Uh, S&P 500 is down three quarters. NASDAQ is up a scant. Uh, Dow Jones is down almost a point. FTSE is down two points. Nikkei is down three. And these are percentage points, by the way. Hang Seng's up uh, one, yeah, one percent. Shanghai is up half percent. And the volatility index is up four and a quarter percent. Let's look at bonds. Everything's down except the U.S. three-month again, and the let's see. Oh, the U.K. ten-year bond is up. Uh, German ten-year bond is still circling the drain in negative territory. It's actually unchanged today, or unchanged. Oil is down 03 percent. It's at thirty-eight and five thirty-eight dollars and five cents. Natural gas is down a point and gold is up a point and a tenth. So it's gained about 20 bucks. Uh, so it's right where it was about 12 years ago. Let's actually talk about real money though. Uh, Bitcoin is at $9,728. Looks like its high is going to be over at Bit Asset at $9,821. And the low is at Hit BTC at $9,714. 314,000 transactions were sent around the horn in the last 24 hours, giving us the average transaction number per hour at 13,000. Almost a million Bitcoin were sent in that last 24 hours with 40,500 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 3.1 BTC. The median transaction value is back up above 300 to $400 or 0.04 BTC. Block time is way low, nine minutes, zero seconds. The fees per block on a per block basis is uh, about a quarter of a BTC. And the reward or the uh, fees over the last 24 hours is 37.2 BTC. 
Hash rate ticked up a percent in the last 24 hours. We are at 109 exahashes per second, according to BitInfo charts. And the last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 243, Bcash at 253, BSV at 189, Litecoin at 46 and a quarter, Ethereum Classic is at 6.8, Dogecoin holding it together again at 0.0026. And with 41,000 transactions on their chain, it beats Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and, and Bcash. I still think it's funny that Dogecoin, the meme coin, the joke coin, the coin that was created by a guy that hated Bitcoin and wanted to prove that it was stupid. Not only is it still alive, it's actually one of the most used cryptocurrencies on a daily basis. That doesn't mean go buy Dogecoin, okay? It also doesn't mean that I don't like Dogecoin. I will never use it. I have some. I keep it in a bag. I'm not planning on putting any more in that bag. I have my Doge. I'm never going to sell it. Not for ethical reasons. I I just, I think, it was so much fun when that thing got released and it became even more fun when one of the creators of that coin that hates Bitcoin got pissed and basically left and Doge carries on to this very day. Now, let's see what my note has to say about hash rate. 108 exahashes uh, per second on the daily average and 114.8 exahashes for the weekly average, there uh, my mempool is showing 16,800 transactions waiting to clear. All the blocks seem to be full, in the, or at least not all, but the last 10 blocks, they have been full. Let's see what Clark Moody Bitcoin, aka bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard has to say about the mempool or their mempool or whatever mempool he's reading from. He has, he's showing 17,352 and that is going to clear in 11 blocks, giving us about 10 and a half megabytes in that mempool. My mempool is my mempool. Your mempool is your mempool. There is no such thing as the mempool. If I say that and I don't correct myself, feel free to berate me on Twitter there is 928 BTC in total capacity in the Lightning Network. That is $9 million worth of liquidity over 7,202 nodes, representing 36,080 channels. Tor capacity has ticked up yet again. 418.09 BTC is in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, giving us a percentage Tor capacity of 45.1%. We've also gained some Tor nodes. A couple of them. We have now 2,085 lightning nodes running on the Tor network. That's going to do it for idols. All right, let's start off the second part of the morning roundup with this one from Liam Frost writing for decrypt.co. Blockstream launches Bitcoin OTC trading platform in Japan. Dubbed SettleNet, the new platform promises to minimize the risks of over-the-counter trading from use, or by using atomic swaps. This was written sometime this morning. Blockchain firms Blockstream and Digital Garage, as well as financial services company Tokyo Tanshi, have announced the launch of SettleNet, a non-custodial digital asset settlement platform designed to help foreign enterprises more easily conduct their businesses in Japan. 
Blockstream is a Canadian blockchain services company known for its work on the Bitcoin Lightning Network and its Bitcoin solutions like the Liquid Network. Liquid works by moving the Bitcoin on a side chain, think a blockchain running in parallel but one that's faster, which settles transactions in just two minutes. SettleNet is built on the Liquid Network. At launch, the platform supports trading between Blockstream's Liquid version of Bitcoin, LBTC, and Crypto Garage's token that represents the Japanese yen, which is JPYS. According to the developer, SettleNet is using atomic swaps where money is transferred from one blockchain to another to mitigate the risks usually associated with over-the-counter transactions and is regulatory compliant. Quote, the SettleNet platform operates within a regulatory sandbox program set up by the government of Japan and is open to exchanges, OTC desks, brokers, asset managers, and other financial institutions from around the world, end quote, said the announcement published on June the 8th. The developers added that a number of global OTC firms and Japanese exchange platforms have already signed up to use SettleNet, but it did not specify which ones. The platform could allow overseas businesses to more easily gain a foothold in the Japanese market, quote, entering the Japanese Bitcoin market has traditionally been a challenge for overseas companies due to the high costs involved in establishing a legal presence in the country. SettleNet makes things considerably easier thanks to the introduction of JPYS. After a transaction is made, companies will be receiving the fiat-backed JPYS tokens instead of physical settlement to a Japanese bank account, enabling SettleNet clients from anywhere in the world to quickly and easily start accepting settlements in Japanese yen in a cost-effective and compliant manner, the announcement explained. In the future, SettleNet will support more tokens and trading pairs such as Tether uh, and LCAD, a stablecoin pegged to the Canadian dollar. So Blockstream marching ahead, lizard people, as evil as they are, uh, and, and stop it with that. I'm so sick of people like, yelling at Blockstream and how they've destroyed Bitcoin. No, this is not true. Jonathan Herzog may be the most crypto-friendly congressional candidate yet. Michael Kaplikov, sorry. Michael Kaplikov is writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Jonathan Herzog is running for Congress in New York's 10th district and is counting on the support of the crypto community to push him past the incumbent of almost 30 years, Gerald Nadler, in Democratic primaries. Herzog received a bachelor's degree from Harvard, an MBA from NYU Stern, and is currently on the leave of absence from the Harvard Law School. He was a founding member of Andrew Yang's presidential campaign, for whom, admittedly, he borrowed a few ideas. He is running on a progressive platform, universal basic income, universal health care, publicly funded elections, and national cryptocurrency regulation. Herzog believes that the state of Wyoming sets a great precedent and that the United States national crypto regulations should follow suit if the country is not to fall behind other nations. He also thinks that that New York's bit license is detrimental to the development of the crypto space in the state. It is. He's right about that. The odds seem to be stacked against this young protege of Andrew Yang. However, Harzog told Cointelegraph that he believes he has a realistic chance and is depending on the support of the city's vibrant crypto community. Quote, I am here to fight for the future that we are building together, a decentralized open, open source future, and Bitcoin, Ethereum, and decentralized blockchains are part and parcel of that. God, shit coinery is going to trigger. 
triggering, man. Herzog's UBI proposal promises a monthly payout of $1,000 to every adult and $500 to every child, according to the United States Census Bureau data, would cost approximately $3.5 trillion a year. Herzog says that about $1 trillion could be made up by instituting a value-added tax, which would tax tech giants like Amazon, who currently pay hardly any federal taxes. In addition, the UBI paid out to the individuals would stimulate the economy and perhaps pay for itself. <laughs> As a central bank, we have the ability to create money. We do. It's going to pay for itself because debt is money that you owe to yourself. These people are insane. Okay. Whether this guy's a crypto Bitcoiner guy or not, he's, he's clearly insane. Quote, unfortunately, it just illustrated the institutional collapse that the crypto community has been calling out now for over a decade but it's really coming to the fore in this moment of a crisis on top of a crisis on top of a crisis in quote. Herzog added that this institutional crisis is what motivates him in his pursuit as the current crop of congressmen has demonstrated its inaptness quote, but really this is the reason I'm running is there is no one in the wings in the midst of this pandemic and this great depression, which has killed now more than twice the number of people that died in the Vietnam war we just can't rely upon assuming there are adults in the room because, again, Congress has been in recess. And when they finally returned in session, they passed a multi-trillion dollar bailout for large multinational firms and a tiny, tiny fraction and a very tiny fraction of that to bail out the people, end quote. Okay, that's the end of the story. It's not the end of my rant. It should be, but dude, I mean... <sighs> Making statements that you're just going to like institute a $3. trillion pay everybody $1,000, which ain't going to do dick. And that suggesting that it could eventually pay for itself because it stimulates the economy and then turn right around and bitch about the people that came to as quote unquote, save the economy with a multi-trillion dollar bailout. It's just the same shit. He's the same guy. He is the same guy. I honestly believe that this dude is not ha doesn't give a shit about cryptocurrency. I think he's just looking for people to vote for his ass. So just be aware when these stories hit and I either read them to you while you're driving in your car or washing dishes or whatever, take it with a grain of salt because just because it's news doesn't make it true, okay? He may not be the most crypto-friendly congressional candidate. He may be just another scumbag, and honestly, it kind of sounds like he's a scumbag, although he's right about New York's bit license. But take it with a grain of salt, just like this one. Now, I, already, I actually got physical pushback when I posted this story from Coindesk.com about Monero. Pirate Beachbone was one of the first ones up that says, sounds like bullshit to me, and he's right. It very well may be bullshit. I don't know, but again... This is the shit that's in the news. So buckle up and let's get our crying under control, shall we? Monero for bail project sees increased demand during protests. Oh, probably some virtue signaling. June the 8th, 2020, written by Benjamin Powers, again, for Coindesk.com. A software program that mines Monero to bail people out of jail has seen an uptick in its use as protests over the police killings of George Floyd continue across the, the, the United States. 
The software is called BailBlock and runs in the background of your computer, passively generating Monero that is then distributed to bail funds. Again, I can see why Pirate Beach Bum is calling bullshit on this because it spells like bullshit. Quote, I noticed a 20% increase in our hash rate this week as opposed to last week, Grayson Earl, who developed the bail block software, said in an email, quote, we are dedicated as a project and as individuals to the movement for black lives and feel that the urgency of the situation requires direct action and people should direct resources to organizations on the ground that can respond rapidly, end quote. The hash rate is the measure of how quickly the cryptographic calculations for mining are executed. Bail block hash rate is currently at 94.5 kilo hashes per second, according to Earl. Bail funds funds are used to <clears throat> bail funds are used to pay bail for those who are in pre-trial detention, which can last for weeks or even months. Otherwise, since 1970, pre-trial detentions have increased by 433 percent. I'm going to stop right there because the, the date gets me 1970. What the fuck happened in 1971? Should you go check out that website? Anyway, so continuing since 1970, uh, pre-tile detentions have increased 433%. According to research by the Center for the American Pro- or Center for American Progress in 2015, more than 60% of the total jail population in the U.S. was made up of people held for pre-trial detention, according to a study from the Vera Institute, a nonprofit that campaigns for justice system reform. In the wake of protests against police brutality, more than 10,000 protesters have been arrested in the U.S. Earl originally conceived bail block following President Trump's 2016 election as a way to address clicktivism, where people signal their fidelity to to cause without doing anything about it. Monero is a leading privacy-focused coin that hides the identity of miners, and Earl said Monero's mining algorithm has helped bail block. Quote, the random X mining algorithm helped our project because most of the people running bail block on their computers are using mid-level consumer laptop laptops without dedicated graphics cards. Now that GPUs and CPUs are on even grounds in terms of hash rate, we are collecting Monero at a much higher rate than before. Thus for bail block has raised or thus far bail block has raised over $8,000 or enough to bail out 13 people. <laughs> it's next check is going to be, uh, for the immigrant bail fund in Connecticut. So that's all you need to know about that. Uh, it goes on a little further, but there's just, I, I mean, this is about, this, uh, this is about Monero. All right. So, and honestly, it's just, I mean, a lot, kind of like fluffy pony, but Monero's a shit coin. It's always going to be a shit coin. So there you go. Okay. <clears throat> now, oh God, this one. Now, again, this is out of this is out of crypto briefing by a guy named Mike Dalton. Is it true? Because if it is, staking is going to be a whole lot of fun for meth heads. Consensus launched an Ethereum surveillance service to detect criminal activity. Oh boy, this was written sometime yesterday. Uh, Ethereum firm Consensus has designed a tool to combat crypto-related fraud and illicit activity. Oh, I'm so terrified. Consensus launched an Ethereum surveillance service to identify criminal activity, money laundering, and fraud, but this won't harm people's privacy, supposedly. Codify compliance allows users to analyze the Ethereum blockchain to detect criminal activity, money laundering, and fraud. Rather than tracing Ethereum users through the Know Your Customer procedures, 
Codify compliance relies on your know your transaction strategies. This means that it analyzes data that already exists on Ethereum's public ledger, not data that users have provided. In theory, this allows Codify compliance to detect illicit activity without compromising the privacy of Ethereum's end users. Financial institutions and blockchain developers are most likely to find Codify compliance useful. One project that is already using the compliance system is the Prediction Market site. Uh, unlike other competing services, Codify Compliance provides a way to trace Ethereum transactions, not crypto transactions in general. According to Consensus, Ethereum pr proved challenging because it has a wide array of standards and a complex database, something that few other services have confronted. Right now, Codify Compliance includes support for over 280,000 Ethereum-based assets. It also supports Ethereum-based stablecoins, including DAI, Tether, TrueUSD, Paxos USD, and USDC. Support for Bitcoin is also underway. Blockchain regulatory compliance or surveillance, in other words, has become big business. The most notable company working in this area is Chainalysis, which has worked with exchanges like Binance and Paxful to enforce regulations. It has also provided services to the IRS since 2017 allowing the government body to detect tax evading crypto investors. Coinbase has drawing attention because of its regulatory compliance uh, efforts in the acquisition of Neutrino and the most recent uh, telegraphing of the news that they were willing and wanting and able to work with the IRS and the DEA. Uh, it just, the, the shittiness in this space is just huge. So, all right. So <clears throat> for all you meth heads, um, you're going to get hosed on this. And this is why I Bitcoin. That's all I got to say. Uh, institutions are still rushing into Bitcoin, scooping up most newly mined BTC. Joseph Young is writing this one for CryptoSlate.com. I normally like Joseph Young, so let's see if, he's, if, if there's some bullshit detection that, that can go on in here. Institutional investors are still aggressively investing in Bitcoin. In the third quarter of 2020, data from Grayscale shows it follows six months of consistent capital inflow from institutions into the cryptocurrency market. The lead of billionaire fund manager Paul Tudor Jones is seemingly encouraging institutions to invest in Bitcoin as an alternative store of value <clears throat> in May of 2020. Tudor Jones surprised the cryptocurrency community by publicly expressing his enthusiasm towards Bitcoin. The billionaire investor said Wall Street is observing a historic birthing of a store of value, adding that he has 1% of his assets in Bitcoin. He said, quote, every day that goes by that Bitcoin survives, the trust in it will go up, end quote. That's also called the Lindy effect. Market data shows institutional investors agree with the stance of Tudor Jones in the past 12 weeks. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust added 62,972 BTC. In the same period, 125,000 BTC was mined. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is a publicly tradable investment vehicle operated by Grayscale that allows institutional investors to invest in BTC in the same way they would buy stocks. It simplifies the process for institutions to increase their exposure of the cryptocurrency market in a strictly regulated ecosystem. Institutional investors accumulating more than half of BTC mined in the last three months indicates that institutional market is gradually expanding on a day-to-day -day basis. In previous cycles, the uptrend of Bitcoin was dominated by the futures market and on some occasions the spot market. 
futures market refers to exchanges like BitMEX, OKX, and Binance futures where traders can use additional leverage to trade with more capital than they have. <clears throat> That's always bad. Bad. Bad trader. Bad. No leverage. You know, use no leverage. Spot market refers to exchanges like Coinbase, Binance, and Gemini that allow users to purchase or sell cryptocurrencies with fiat currencies or stable coins without any leverage. In the if the institutional market becomes as big as spot and futures markets in the medium to long term, it would pro provide a stronger foundation for future BTC rallies. Pantera Capital CEO Dan Moorhead said, quote, CME Bitcoin futures provide a real-time proxy for the increase in institutional investment. Open interest recently surged to a record high. In this new era of unlimited quantitative easing, it might be imprudent to not have some exposure to Bitcoin. End quote. Earlier this week, CryptoSlate reported that $2 trillion asset manager Fidelity said crypto will continue to gain institutional adoption. A study done by Fidelity found that the interest in institutional investors toward Bitcoin is likely to be sustained. Fidelity Digital Assets said, quote, the results suggest that digital assets contain, continue to gain adoption and interest by a variety of institutional investors, end quote. In the longer term, the key to facilitating increasing institutional demand would be to see an emergence of well-regulated custodian solutions over-the-counter desks and investment firms to assist institutions into the cryptocurrency market. That's going to do it for your morning roundup. Okay, we should probably have a joke here. This one, again, brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. That's at Dad Says Jokes on Twitter. And this is very poignant for today's trying times. My wife asked me to prepare our four-year-old son for his first day at school. So I stole his lunch. They're going to steal everything. They're going to take everything they can. Be careful out there. Honestly, be very, very, very careful. I remember what I said. If you can, get out of the cities. If, if you can at least get to the fringe of your city. That way you still have access to, to the city services if you so choose, but you're not in the middle of somewhere that shit always goes down in the, the highest density urban place. Like, like just take any city and figure out, you know, where's the most dense portion of, of that place. That's where riots are going to occur every single time because this shit ain't over. Somehow this, I want to say that this time it feels different. It'll probably die down. But somehow or another, I was thinking the other day that when this shit ends, it's just not going to be pretty. And then it just immediately dawned on me, what if it's not designed to end this time? What if it just keeps on going? So if you can, get out of the cities. If you know you can't, at least think about how you may be able to. So think outside the box. But uh, other than that, man, I got nothing and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.